When you have the right recon process in place, it's easy to stay ahead of the game. Put your recon on cruise control today with iRecon, the solution built directly in Viato that obliterates recon inefficiencies and accelerates your used car sales. Visit viato.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, December 16th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. Today on the show, child workers are found at four major Hyundai and Kia suppliers in Alabama. The U.S. opens a probe into Cruise's autonomous driving system. And the entry-level price for the F-150 Lightning goes up again. Plus, a conversation about how the F&I office can help with dealership customer retention. If only 40% of them, at best, are selecting a prepaid maintenance package, we need to ask ourselves, why not, right? Are we truly selling the benefits of it? Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. At least four major Hyundai and Kia suppliers have employed child labor at Alabama factories in recent years. That's according to an investigation by Reuters. State and federal agencies are probing whether children have worked at as many as half a dozen additional manufacturers throughout the automaker's supply chain in the state. In one example, a 14-year-old Guatemalan girl worked assembling auto body components at a plant in Greenville, Alabama, owned by Huashin America Corp., which supplies the two car brands. Reuters spoke with the girl's father and law enforcement officials. In another case, a former production engineer at plants owned by Korean auto parts maker Ajin Industrial Company said he worked with at least 10 miners. Six other former Ajin employees said they also worked with multiple underage workers. In two separate statements sent by the same public relations firm, Huashin and Ajin said their policies forbid the hiring of any worker not of legally employable age. Using identical language, both companies said they hadn't hired underage workers, quote, to the best of our knowledge, end quote. You can find more details at autonews.com. U.S. auto safety regulators say they've opened a formal safety probe into the autonomous driving system used in Cruise's autonomous vehicles, Cruise's GM's robo-taxi unit. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says it has received notices of incidents in which cruise vehicles, quote, may engage in inappropriately hard braking or become immobilized. The safety agency's preliminary evaluation covers 242 cruise autonomous vehicles. It's the first step before it can seek a recall. The investigation follows reports of three crashes in which cruise vehicles were struck from behind by other cars after the autonomous vehicles braked quickly. Cruise notes that its vehicles have driven nearly 700,000 fully autonomous miles in complex urban environments without any life-threatening injuries or fatalities. Tesla and the Mexican border state of Nuevo León are firming up plans for a factory site and an automotive corridor that is home to assembly plants for Kia and General Motors. That's according to sources quoted by the Millennio newspaper. Tesla CEO Elon Musk and the state government are fine-tuning the final details in order to announce the installation of a factory in the state, which Millennio said should be announced early next year. Tesla, which has disbanded its press office, didn't respond to an email seeking comment. Meanwhile, across the U.S. border, Tesla says it's building 3,000 Model Y crossovers a week at its new Austin, Texas factory. It's a sign the electric car maker is making up for lost time at the money-losing plant. 
extrapolated out over a year, that production rate would get Tesla to about 150,000 vehicles. That's still short of the annual target of 250,000 the company promoted in its third quarter letter to shareholders. I feel like we've said this before, the cheapest variant of the Ford F-150 Lightning just got more expensive. Ford has raised the entry point for its electric pickup 9%. It's now just under $56,000. The automaker has raised prices for the F-150 Lightning twice in three months as it navigates higher costs and supply chain snags. Ford previously said it was targeting annual production of 150,000 Lightning pickups by the fall of 2023. The automaker did not immediately respond to a Reuters request for a comment on the price hike. And former VW Group CEO Herbert Diess is in line to become supervisory board chairman at semiconductor group Infineon. VW replaced Diess with Porsche boss Oliver Bloom on September 1st after clashes with senior managers and the automaker's powerful works council over his electrification strategy and management style. Diess's appointment as Infineon chairman is subject to a confirming vote at the chipmaker's annual meeting in February. If the vote goes his way, he'll succeed Wolfgang Eder, who plans to resign at the meeting. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, it seems like the subject of autonomous vehicles and sort of where they stand now has come up uh, a few times recently uh, as we look back on 2022 and the ups and downs of the AV industry and its effect on the broader automotive industry. Now today we got this news about NHTSA opening up this investigation into Cruise. What do you make of this and what do you think are the broader implications here? You know, it's been a curious case with Cruise continuing to explain despite a few setbacks and um, and even as you know many other self-driving companies automated driving companies have scaled back their ambitions instead you know cruises pushed on they're expanding their coverage area and continuing to offer you know rides for money without human behind the wheel but the thing this really raises for me is the ability of traditional safety regulators to cope with this fast-changing environment. We've seen it some with Tesla, certainly with this case. Um, the problems that the cruise cars have had with turns, with navigation, you know, they clearly they update the software so they don't keep doing that. They could order a fix on something that's been fixed many times over. So it, it'll be curious to see how it really works, but it is right for them to stay on top of the safety issues around self-driving cars. Right. Regulations that are built or regulatory systems built for things like hardware, braking systems, very different than software. That's for sure. Coming up on Daily Drive, we're going to take a look at F&I products that can keep customers coming back to dealerships for service. That's next on Daily Drive. Warning, your reconditioning process needs attention. Unexpected shortages and delays can throw off even the most routine recon work, slowing your sales and eating into your bottom line. Identify and fix reconditioning inefficiencies to turn your inventory faster with iRecon. This reconditioning solution, built directly in V-Auto, keeps you in control of your service department and puts your recon on cruise control. With real-time alerts and reports, iRecon helps you get ahead of potential issues before they become costly problems. You'll be able to track who's doing the work and how long tasks are taking, see the status of any vehicle in an instant, and make adjustments where needed. And it's all done in an easy-to-use dashboard you can customize to fit your workflow. 
Obliterate inefficiencies and accelerate your used car sales only with iRecon. Run your personal recon diagnostics with us today and put your process on cruise control. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Jake Neer. Too often, what's good for an F&I manager's profit report is not necessarily good for a dealership's long-term customer retention plan. High-margin products such as gap insurance might be rewarding for an F&I manager, but they may do nothing to drive customers back to the dealership. While products such as vehicle service contracts and prepaid maintenance plans have lower margins, they can also help a dealership build relationships with customers. Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Schein spoke with Scott Eisenfelder. He's the CEO of APCO Holdings, a provider and administrator of F&I products for the auto industry. They talked about what a pay plan aligned with a dealership's retention strategy would look like. Here's their conversation. Scott, thanks for joining us on the F&I Friday edition of Daily Drive. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. So you had an interesting column in the December 5th Automotive News, our F&I special section, and my other hat that I wear at work is, is about fixed ops, and we talk a lot about cu- customer retention there. But you kind of wrote a column about how customer retention can come from the F&I office as well. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, the premise of, of what you wrote. Sure. You know, look, I've always believed strongly that um, one of the big purposes of F&I is to create that link back to the dealership. You know, with, whether it's uh, prepaid maintenance contracts or vehicle service contracts is, uh, you know, yes, one purpose, of course, is to make money in the box, right, to make money in F&I. But now the, the, even though in many, for many of those products, the consumer can go elsewhere to get the contract fulfilled, the vast majority of the time is that they'll take that contract in to um, back to the dealership to start that habit, right? It's really important that we st- that with each customer that you start a habit of getting them to come back to the store. And what better way to do that on something they don't actually have to pay for because they've already paid for it ahead of time, right? So you get them back in the store, you know, on something that they're not paying for at that time and creating more opportunity um, at the dealership. But it's all about habit. And uh, that's what a, a contract does for the dealership. And you, you wrote that it kind of there's this focus on the high margin type things, the gap and the, and the protection products that make the F&I office, it makes the F&I manager some good money, um, but they're not necessarily going to bring the customer back into the dealership um, as, as where, where a, a VSC would, would do that. Yes. Talk, talk a little bit about just kind of that, that mindset of, of, of the F&I office there. Yeah, so, so you know, we, we kind of use, I'll call it a money ball. Uh, example for those baseball fans in the room, right, is, uh, you know, that we've always focused on batting average, right, in baseball. And batting average is great, but there's a lot of other ways to get on base, right? And uh, Moneyball taught us that I don't really care how you got on base. I just want you to get on base. So we start talking about on-base percentage. 
So we, ha we have kind of a similar analogy. We think about um, what service contracts do for you or, or F&I products do. And the equivalent of a batting average is PVR, right? We all know about what the PVR, and we measure people on PVR all the time. You know, you go to any general manager can tell you what the PVR of each of, each of his finance managers are. But there's another aspect of it, which we call effective PVR, right? So effective PVR takes the other value created by that contract and adds them back to it, right? So if you sold a thousand contracts, how many of those contracts came back to the store? And what did you get on those stores, on those contracts? Not only just the claim, right? But we see on, on most of our claims, there is another customer pay item associated or a manufacturer warranty item with many of those claims. So we want to add that all up together. So, you know, an example you mentioned, like an appearance product, great. You know, you, uh, great margins for the store, great margins for the F&I manager, but it doesn't bring the consumer back to the store. You know, on the other end of the screen, hard to get a lot of PVR out of a, out of a maintenance, con of a, a prepaid maintenance contract. But that's the flip side, right? That is getting the consumer to come back into the store. So the thought process that we go through, you know, starts with that effective PVR number. And oh, by the way, there's also then the reinsurance that's retained by the dealer, uh, you know, in, the, in those contracts. We have to think about them. And so we call it wallet order. Historically in our industry, we, we talked about service contracts first, second gap and so forth. And Honestly, the reason why that was the order in which those products were created, right? It had nothing to do with any economic rationale, right? So one of the things that we, we like to have conversations with dealers about is to think strategically about wallet order. What are the things we want to talk about with the consumer? Clearly, what is the consumer value? But then what's our choice if we had a choice in, in, in really thinking about that effective PVR or that on-base percentage? So you're looking for a lot of Scott Hattiebergs to to work at the dealership. No, we're there getting, we go. Hey, that's an awesome reference, my friend. We're getting deep into Moneyball references here. We better stop yeah. that right now. Um, and what about you? Also, talk a little bit about prepaid maintenance uh, plans and their penetration very low uh, for these. Is it just a matter that it's a low margin product, and and the F and I guys not not interested in that? Yeah. So one of the ways I like to think about that, Dan, is is you know, we pat ourselves on the back for if we get 35, 40% penetration rate on a, on a prepaid maintenance. And I, I always love what I call kind of opportunity-based uh, thinking, right? So 100% of the customers are going to maintain their car, right? And, and if, if only 40% of them at best are selecting a prepaid maintenance package, we need to ask ourselves, why not? Right? Are we truly selling the benefits of it? Are we truly um, making an effort to sell that product? Is there value in that product? Why, why is there this big gap? I know we're never going to get it to 100%, right? But, but we, we need to be thinking about what that gap is. And here's another interesting thing that we know. You know, we know that consumers who buy both a VSC and a prepaid maintenance are more likely to do the, to bring their claims on their service contract back to the store than not, right? You can start to argue that, and oh, by the way, the severity of claims is going to be less because they're maintaining the car properly. 
So more money then flows back to the dealer in their reinsurance account, right? So you can start to make an argument that we're that there's more value in that prepaid maintenance across the whole dealership than what we're giving it credit for in 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 the sales office. And, and it also goes to they're coming back, they're spending money in the service department, but more than likely they may be buying another car from that that dealership, and you're 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 building a long lifetime customer potentially. Absolutely, Dan. I, you know, I, I don't know what the latest stats are, but I remember J.D. Power years ago talking about the consumer who is servicing at the dealership, you know, at that time they're buying the next car is like 1.8 times more likely to buy another vehicle from that dealer. So, so tremendous impact. The longer, the longer we can hold that consumer staying loyal to us in service, the greater the probability of of meeting their needs with their next car. So you wrote uh, kind of a nice line. I said you know talking about the misalignment between what is good for the F and I manager and what is good for the dealership's long term retention strategy. So what's the, so what is the play plan that that kind of aligned with the retention strategy? What does that look like? That mean if I'm an F and I guy, I'm leaving money on the table. Yeah. Well, here's the hard part out of it, right? Because of you know, you, you make money, it's easy to calculate what you make money in the box, right? Um, and, you know, and, and, and I can determine how much I pay then, you know, as opposed to the value is created over a longer period of time. I, I don't know what the perfect pay plan is, but, but I think there's a lot of things to explore. Like, you know, if you did sell a prepaid maintenance package, um, does the F&I manager get a cut of the service contract, uh, the, the, the service uh, bill every time that they, that that consumer comes back, you know, how do we reward them for selling products that leads to this, this value? Or if, if you sell them, a, a, um, a, even with a VSC, if that claim comes back, right, to the store, should a portion of that claim go to the F&I manager? Because there's another retention aspect here, right, as well, is, now you're building value to stay with the dealership as well as the F&I manager, right? So right. you get the retention from the consumer, but you also got a retention from the F&I. You know, if I knew I had a stream of payments coming to me, um, I may not leave for the next, you know, offer I get at another store. Yeah, and I'm sure on the face of it, it's hard for people to... to leave money behind or think they're think they're leaving money on the table or they're leaving money behind for the good of the dealership you know when they, when they say well the good of the dealership doesn't pay my rent or mortgage or whatever it might be but yeah but if there's, if there's a way to kind of spiff them a little bit on, on some of the things that the, the, the work that comes back to the service department that could, that could be rewarding for them it could be and again i think that it's you know i think that it starts to change the focus right from from transactional to relational right what you were talking about earlier, Dan, is really the relational value, right? What's the value in that relationship with the consumer? And it, look, it's pretty radical, right? I admit it's pretty radical. It's very different than the way we've historically thought um, about pay plans in a dealership. Uh, um, but, but, uh, you know, but we've been very transactional, and I'd argue it isn't working for us, right? You know, if I get back to the example of, you know, look at the, Look at the tremendous, you're, you know, you're a, you're a fixed ops guy, right? 
is look at that tremendous fall off in loyalty to the dealer, you know, after the warranty runs out, right? Most 70%, consumers 70%. Yeah. So, so, so you look at that and you say, I don't know what you could, I don't know what you could do with that number, Dan, but, but that doesn't sound like the right number to me, right? It doesn't sound like the number, particularly, you know, as we get towards more and more EVs, right? Yeah. The, 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 the name of the game on EVs, you know, I'm not going to, I don't get as much per service, right? So what do I have to do? I have to do more. I have to hold you loyal longer into the service, into that process, right? So, yeah. so you know, I, I don't have the oil changes. I don't have all those things. But I got to pick up all of that work if I'm going to stay profitable in a service department, right? Yeah. As, as EVs become more prevalent. Well, interesting stuff. Uh, a little radical, but we like radical at Automotive News. So, Scott, thanks for your time uh, for being with us today. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Scott Eisenfelder is the CEO of APCO Holdings. He spoke with our own Dan Shine. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Jake Neer, in for Kellen Walker. Thanks to Lawrence Iliff of Automotive News and Nathan Eddy of Automotive News Europe for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on finance and insurance, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday when we'll kick off a series of conversations looking back at the auto industry in 2022. We'll start things off with a look at GM's year and what's ahead for America's largest automaker in 2023. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.